Hey everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, July 18th, 2021. Welcome to The Way Ministry Live Online. It's good to be back here this Sunday. And uh, today's message is one of those messages that is simply uh, part of the gospel, the gospel message. Um, uh, if you could pray for me, I was in my backyard yesterday. I don't know if you can see it or not, but I woke up this morning. My right eye was almost swelled shut because I was attacked yesterday by some wasps and I got stung in my eye and on both of my arms four or five different times. So um, it's not been fun. If you've ever been stung by wasps, the day after is a bit brutal and being stung that many times, <laughs> it's really doing a job on me. I almost didn't preach today, but I very much wanted to, but it's a bit difficult to see with my right eye right now. Um, but I'm sure it will be fine soon. Uh, if you have any trouble hearing or seeing, please comment. I see the comments from the way R122 ministry page on Facebook. Um, otherwise, let's pray and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather here each Sunday uh, to hear from your word, to learn of you, and to fellowship even at a distance. Lord, I just ask that you would touch each person that hears this message, uh, those in America and those that join us from our church in Kenya. And we thank you, Lord, for this awesome opportunity to reach all of them. And Lord, I just ask that your name would be praised through this, that we would learn of you and to grow closer to you through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the title of the message today is For God So Loved the World, and it's based on John 3.16, a verse that I'm sure uh, just about any Christian is very familiar with, and quite often people that aren't Christians are familiar with. John 3.16, before I get into it, I want to preface it with another verse, which is 2 Samuel uh, 14, 14. This is one of those verses I was reading 2 Samuel, I remember it was a year or two ago, and I came across this verse, and it's one of those ones that just, uh, the Holy Spirit just opens up to you, and you're like, wow, that's just so profound, because it's such a message of the gospel uh, that are sprinkled all throughout the whole testament i mean the entire message of the bible is about the gospel obviously but there are certain verses that are just so powerful with that gospel message and this is one of them and it says second samuel 14 14 for we will surely die and are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again yet god does not take away life but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Eden, when Adam was tempted and he rebelled against God, he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, sin came in, separated him and humanity from God, and he was banished from Eden. But we all know through the message of the gospel that the Lord has healed that banishment through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's just a beautiful verse in 2 Samuel that reiterates that point for us. For we will surely die and are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. So it's talking about God planning ways to save those 
of his children who Christ came to save thousands of years before Calvary. Beautiful message to consider, and it applies directly to the verse that we are focusing on today for our sermon, which is John 3.16, and I'm using the King James, King James Version here because it's the one that I memorized. It's the first verse I, I ever memorized when I was a kid. I remember going to Bible school at my grandparents' house in Bullhead City, Arizona, when I was probably five or six years old, seven years old, and this was the first verse that I ever memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what I want to do today is just go through this verse piece by piece and share what a blessing it is with all of you, with all of you that hear this message today. And I love these kind of messages, especially in these times in which we live, and especially as I'm going through inter intermittently this, this series of sermons that are called, uh, that have to do with the coming storm series, because they can be very uh, dark, and they present a lot of truths about the time in which we live, and we need a lot of faith. And I believe that focusing on the gospel and aspects and portions of the gospel strengthen our faith, edify us, and help us to look more intently at Christ, which will give us what we need to go through these times without being pulled off the narrow path or brought down by what's going on in the world. So for God so loved the world, that he, gave his, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this is probably the most well-known and memorized verse in the Bible. And like I said, it's the first one that I memorized. And I want to look at two other verses here that reiterate this. Hebrews 2.10 and Ephesians 1.5. One second here. Music's a bit loud. Hebrews 2.10 and Ephesians 1.5. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing sons to glory, should make the founder of this, their salvation perfect through suffering, alluding to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now let's look at this. John 3.16, piece by piece. And let's begin with the beginning of the verse. For God so loved. Those four words there are something that I would recommend you strive to meditate, meditate on and comprehend the mind of God through. Comprehend the fact that God so loved the world. Strive to meditate on that to comprehend the mind of God. And to do so, I would recommend reading through John 3.16 and also Psalm 136 in the coming week. And if you're familiar with Psalm 136, it reiterates the steadfastness of God's love that endures forever over and over through that psalm. And Psalm 136.26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. God's love is all from and through him through Christ. It pours forth from him, and God's love is so profound that he actually is love. So love is God. God is love. First John 4 8 says the one who does not love does not love does not know God because God 
is love. So what this tells us is that is that the only way to truly love is to know God. Think of how profound that is. This is another one of those teachings where anyone that is not in Christ, who does not know Christ, does not know what true love is. Think of that. You can only know and experience true, genuine, eternal, everlasting love if you abide in Christ. Because God is love, Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity. Charles Spurgeon explains explains this beautifully like he does so many things throughout his sermons. He says, It is from the love of God that all our hopes begin, and it is upon the love of God that all our hopes depend. If it were not for the Father's love, there never would have been a covenant of grace. If it were not for his infinite love, no atoning sacrifice would have been provided. If it were not for his active love, no Holy Spirit would have given us life and renewed us. So if you want to know or you're trying to explain someone to someone the truth that God is love, how do you do that? The best way to do that is through the message of the gospel. When you share the message of the gospel, if the Holy Spirit is going to reach a lost sinner with the message of the gospel, that is God's love acting on that person. So the best way to explain the truth that God is love is to do it through the message of the gospel. And then look at Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's one of those verses that when you really delve into, starts uh, conveying to our heart the, the profoundness of God's love. Because when it says that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is we were in rebellion against God, completely contrary to everything who that God is and who God is. While he is perfectly holy and just and pure, the sinner lost is in total rebellion against God, in hatred against God, and habitually breaking his law and moving in the opposite direction of God. That's why it said Jesus' first words in ministry in the book of Matthew were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repenting is to turn around from that sinful rebellion against God and to turn around and to start following Christ and seeking to be conformed to his image rather, in, in, rather than being in rebellion against him. Just a beautiful thing to consider. So God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what that tells us is the ultimate act of love, the ultimate definition of love that's been provided to humanity all through history, the ultimate picture of love or expression of love is the sacrifice that God made by sacrificing his son for us on Calvary to win his chosen ones to reconcile us to him. Beautiful. For God so loved, it continues what? The world. For God so loved the world. Again, we're just considering, we're just moving through the, the verse of John 3, 16, little pieces at a time here to get a better grasp and picture of this profound and beautiful portion of scripture. 
So we learned about for God so loved. Now it says for God so loved the world. Salvation in Christ is not limited to a certain place or time. The gospel transcends time and space. This is one of the most fascinating things when you study Christianity is trying to get your mind and your heart and your spirit to grasp the fact that you are studying God and God transcends time and space. So the gospel message frees us from the constraints of time and space. Something very fascinating to consider. Hebrews 13.8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is, can be a very comforting verse because one thing that every Christian will, I believe, testify to and admit to is the fact that our Christian walk is also is often a walk of mountains and valleys. When we're up on top of the mountain, we're communing with the Lord. Everything seems great. Our prayer life is rich and fruitful. And our lives are bringing fruit for the kingdom. We're serving the Lord happily and lovingly. But there's also times of valleys and dryness where our prayer life is struggling. We feel like we're far from the Lord. We're struggling in our walk. We're being challenged at every turn. Or we'll wake up one day and we'll be grumpy because of something, some circumstance or situation in our life that's causing us problems. And that will cause us to uh, feel like we're, we're far from the Lord. But the reason this is comfort, comforting to consider that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, regardless of the fact that we change and our mentality may change, our emotional state may change, the way we think may change, what moves us, that, that may seem to move us closer to the Lord or further away from the Lord, we're what's changing. He never changes. His gospel message is always there. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So any problems that we have like that are our own. And the way to overcome them is placing faith in the fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he never changes. Now, this is very important. It says, for God so loved the world. Many people take that to try to claim that when Jesus died on the cross, when he made atonement for sin, that that atonement was a universal atonement for every human being that ever lived and up to that time or would live until the end of time. And that is not the case. Not every person in the world will be saved or was predestined to be saved through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And this is one of those teachings that's very, very neglected in the modern church because people don't like to hear that. People like to sort of look at Jesus as this universal offering and you can take it or leave it. It's up to mankind. But no, when you really understand the gospel, you realize that the sacrifice that, might, that Christ made on the cross was a very perfectly quantified sacrifice to tone for the sins of God's elect chosen ones who he was reconciling to himself. And I'll give you some scriptures to back up that truth right here. If you look at John uh, 17, 8 through 9, and then verse 20, this is part of the high priestly prayer uh, at the end of the Lord's Supper, the night before Christ was arrested and went to the cross. Christ said, For I have given him the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you give have given me, for they are yours. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who, who, who will believe in me through their word. So he's telling us there that he's not praying for the whole world. He's praying for his chosen ones out of the, the world, excuse me, and the chosen ones out of the world that will hear the message that was going to go forth of the gospel from those in the room that he was speaking to that night. Romans 11, 7 says, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. He's talking about the elect chosen ones of Israel that were the true Israel, that were chosen by God, that will be saved through Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 9, 22 through 24, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So he's saying that there are certain, there are humans that were made to never be saved. I'm sorry, folks, people don't like to hear this, but it's the way it is. Why? In order to make known the riches of his glory for, for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So the amazing truth of this is the fact that Christ came to save God's chosen ones. And if you are in Christ, think of what an awesome blessing that is, that you were created to be a vessel of mercy that God prepared beforehand for that purpose. Just an, an astounding truth. And we could, we could spend weeks preaching on the doctrine of, of God's sovereign choice of election, uh, but I just wanted to reiterate it at this point right here. And God's elect will come from every tribe and nation throughout the world. So where he says, for God so loved the world, he's talking about those scattered throughout the world who are the true spiritual Abraham, the true spiritual church, the true spiritual Israel, the true spiritual children of Abraham, who Jesus died to save, suffered and died for to save on the cross. We continue. For God so loved the world that he gave. The next word, the next verse is, for God so loved the world that he gave. Now, one point I want to make here is that there is a commonality of all false teachings and that, that, that all false teachings contain, and that is the denial of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is a denial of the three, free gift of salvation in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat that. Common to all false teachings is the denial of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. A denial of the free gift of salvation in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Every false teaching will either reject the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and reject him outright, but most of them are, are more subtle and they will say, yes, his, his sacrifice atoned for some of our sins, but not all of them. And there are works that we have to do to earn our way into heaven along with what Christ did. And this is where Roman Catholicism lies. This is where Mormonism lies. This is where Jehovah's Witness lies. You can look at every false religion and they will all bring in human works to some degree to go along with what Christ accomplished on the cross. When Christ said, it is finished, what that meant is the debt the sin debt 
for his chosen ones that he came to atone for had been met. That's why it says he nailed that legal debt to the cross, setting it aside, and we owe nothing for it anymore because Christ paid it on our behalf. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. So for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave a gift. So be lifted by God's love and do not let the ridicule and attacks of unbelievers and apostates who deny and are ignorant of the free gift that God gave bring you down. Because the first thing that happens when you start proclaiming these truths that God's Salvation through Jesus Christ is only through trust and faith in him and nothing that we can do on our own. That's when the false teachers start becoming rabid and they start attacking because that exposes the error that they are conveying and that they are trapped in and they will try everything they can to silence it. That's what's been happening against the true church since the beginning of the church. It continues, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, it says in the Bible that God has many sons. We are adopted as sons into the kingdom through Jesus Christ. But Christ is God's only begotten son. He is unique. He was with God in the beginning. He is God. So he is the only one that is considered his only begotten son. Hebrews 1, 3 through 5 gives us a very beautiful picture of this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So God's gift to the world was his only begotten son. We continue. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. This is a very important topic of study for all Christians. Whosoever believeth in him. It's not a cheap belief. The Greek word for belief basically can be translated as trusts in, clings to, relies on. Many people believe that Jesus existed as a historical figure. They believe that he was a man at some point in history, but they do not have faith in him. They do not trust in him. They do not cling to him for salvation and to be reconciled to the Father through him. To trust in, to cling, to rely on, to rely on Christ is to have a true saving faith in Jesus Christ. And this is, like I said, a huge issue in the modern church. Why? Because we've had generations of watering down the gospel and of ignoring the gospel or aspects of it in the name of humanism. What do I mean by that? If you preach the whole gospel message, which has to include the fact that we are in rebellion against God, deserving of being eternally separated from God and in a predicament in which we can never atone for our sin and be reconciled to God, and that the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ, and that not everyone will be saved, but only those who Christ came to save, who God predestined beforehand 
to be saved, when you start preaching those hard truths of the gospel, it goes against the human psyche. People don't like to hear those things. So for years and generations now, for hundreds of years, really, off and on, but especially in the last hundred years or so, it's become very commonplace to eliminate those portions of the gospel that might be insulting to people or might be difficult for them to swallow because they are trapped in humanism and they want to hear what's going to make them feel good. And because of that, the gospel message has been watered down for so long that people mostly in the modern church have no idea what it means to trust in, to cling to, and to rely on Jesus Christ. The other problem that is so common nowadays is a conceptual Jesus rather than the Jesus of Scripture. And you'll hear this quite often in the modern American church, Christians claiming, well, that's, that's your Jesus. That's not the one I believe in because they want to be involved in some lifestyle or they don't like some doctrine that's in scripture. So they'll say, that's your Christ, but that's not my Christ. That's not a choice for you to make. Christ is conveyed in one way through the scriptures by the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit, opening the hearts and the minds of those that, are, that he's reaching. You cannot make Jesus who you want him to be. He is who he's presented to us to be through the scriptures, as the Holy Spirit discloses him to us. So a conceptual Jesus rather than a Jesus of Scripture is very dangerous. And again, many false religions who claim to be Christian, when you look at how they explain Jesus, you realize that this is not the Jesus of Scripture. This is a fabrication. Very dangerous. True saving faith includes knowledge, approval, and personal trust. Now notice, knowledge alone is not enough. The concept of who Christ is, is not the end, and that is not saving faith. Look at James 2.19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Like I've said, many people who are not Christians believe that Christ existed. They believe that he may be alive and in heaven today, which is the truth, but they don't trust in him. They don't cling to him. They don't have faith in him. Even the demons acknowledge that he was the son of God. Knowledge and approval are not enough. Approval of, agreement to, acknowledgement of the facts of Christian doctrine is not going to save someone. In John 3, 2, Nicodemus acknowledged that Christ was from God, but he did not yet at that time have saving faith in Jesus. If you look at John 3, 2, it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he acknowledged that he was from God, but he had not professed faith in Christ at this point. But we know that at the crucifixion, he came back with Joseph of Arimathea to help with the body of Christ. So I believe that Nicodemus came to saving faith in Jesus Christ as he witnessed the things that took place. So we must not just believe in Christ, but believe, in Christ, believe that Christ existed, but believe in Christ and we must trust in him and have faith in him. We must make a decision to rely on Jesus Christ for our own personal salvation. We must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as a living person, not an intellectual concept, but a living relationship between two, pe between two living people. Wayne Grudem says, saving faith is trust in Jesus as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. Repentance, turning from sin and turning to faith in Jesus Christ must take place. And that's what saving faith leads us to do in Christ. And it must occur together 
uh, in true conversion, regeneration, and repentance. The object of our faith must be valid, and it must spring from the Word of God. Trust in anything or anyone outside of Jesus Christ, as revealed by the Holy Spirit through God's Word and Scripture, is only trusting in false, worldly, humanistic concepts. As our knowledge of the truth in Jesus increases, our faith increases as well. This is very important. Many people look at the gospel message as the message that you use to win souls for Christ. That's true. You share the gospel message and the Holy Spirit will bring those to believe who he has predestined to believe through that message. But what you've got to understand is the gospel message is something that believers must feed on, meditate on constantly throughout their lives. That is how we grow in our walk with Christ. That is how we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Look at Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The only faith and trust that increases with that increases with the true knowledge of God is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Acts 17, 11 through 12 says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Paul praised what those uh, what the Bereans did because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't just take his word for it. They knew that the Messiah could only be found through the scriptures. And that is how we must live. We're led to Christ through the scriptures. We're brought to faith in Christ through the scriptures. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and brings us to new life in Christ through the scriptures. And then our life from that point on improves and we grow more conformed to the image of Christ through the scriptures. Very important to remember. All other teachings either rapidly or gradually crumble in the light of divine truth. Folks, so many nowadays have made a career out of arguing with those in false religions and those in false Christianity. And yes, we are told to expose the works of darkness. We're told to give a defense for the faith that is in us. Do not get drug into that, though, to where it becomes an obsession. Understand that everything will be brought to the light, and anything that is false will be exposed and destroyed. Expose false teachings. Rebuke false teachers. Continue your walk with Christ. Do not cast pearls before swine. And I've seen that that is a huge issue now with social media. And that maybe that's a bit of my opinion, but I believe that we need to strive to be conformed to the image of Christ and not spend all of our time arguing with apostates and heretics. First John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And you get what I just talked about, a uh, reflection of that all through Paul's letters. He says, preach the gospel. Those that accept it, we disciple up, we raise up in Christ. Those that reject it, we shake off our feet and we move on to the next person, the next opportunity to share the gospel. But social media has trapped people in these arguments that go on for, it seems like years, where they're just debating those in false religions back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I, maybe I'm wrong, but when I used to watch social media much more closely, and I finally came to the conclusion that 
Christianity to me seems very cheapened and uh, drugged through the mud through social media when people get drawn into that kind of thing. So, you know, like I said, if you're presented with a false teaching, rebuke it, expose it, pray that the person's freed from it. And if they respond positively, then hopefully they'll they'll come to the Lord and you can raise them up as a disciple in Christ. If they lash out at you and they don't want to hear what you have to say, you have no obligation from that point. You wipe off your feet, you pray for them, and you move on in the next cause of the gospel that the Lord sets before you. Stay with the gospel and in the word led by the Holy Spirit. Any variation from the gospel message can be deadly. Galatians 1, 8 through 9 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul didn't mess around. He wasn't worried about people's feelings. He was concerned about the truth of the gospel and the power that it conveyed. So he flat out said, if anyone preaches to you a gospel that's contrary to the gospel that I preached to you, let them be accursed. He gave no tolerance for false teachings, and we shouldn't either. So the entire verse that we're looking at today is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. With God, everything is up in his love in Jesus Christ, up into the light, up from death to life, up from ignorance to truth, up from the depths to the sweet life-giving breath of God, up from the mud and filth to a heavenly country beyond our grandest imaginings. There is no downside in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will never perish, but we will have everlasting life because God gave his only begotten son for our salvation. Jesus Christ came bringing our salvation. And I'll close with 1 John 4.10. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this message today, especially the message of your love that we can only know about and learn about through the gospel. Lord, I just ask that you would touch each heart that hears this message, uh, that Christians would be strengthened and edified through it, that those that don't know you, uh, that are still lost in the sinful world, uh, that you would reach their hearts and their spirits and bring them to trust and to have faith in you and to cling to you for salvation because there is no other way. You tell us in John 14, 6, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and that is the truth. You are the only way, and we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today, folks. Um, if you get a chance, please visit our sponsor website, which is elephantwalk.net. Caring in every step reflected in the quality of our products and the efforts to combat poverty and support wildlife conservation that our sales help support. Uh, this business is part of our ministry. My brother and I own this business together, and it was started in order to provide income opportunities and business opportunities from artisans uh, in Kenya. We're also looking at expanding into other countries at this time. Uh, we have just an amazing and beautiful selection 
uh, of products. So please consider visiting elephantwalk.net. If you decide to make a purchase, it helps support the ministry. And if upon checkout, you type in the way, all lowercase, you receive 10% off. So please visit elephantwalk.net. You can find us on the web at thewayr122.org. Uh, the sermon that I preach on Sundays is released as a podcast, usually towards the end of the following week on Thursday or Friday, sometimes Saturday. And you can find the podcast by going to christianpodcastcommunity.org and typing in The Way Radio in the search field. There's also some other great podcasts that you can listen to there. Uh, we're still on YouTube at The Way Ministry Church but I'm trying to transfer everything gradually over to Rumble because YouTube will probably kick me off completely, um, especially with a couple sermons that I'm preparing that I'll be preaching in the next two to three weeks that are going to address um, some of what's going on in America, more of the issues that have arisen and proofs about uh, the coronavirus hoax and everything else. Uh, so please find us on Rumble at the way R122 and subscribe. And please consider helping the ministry. If you have the means, please consider donating at the way r122.org and just go to the donate page. Our biggest project right now is we are trying to establish a Bible school and two children's schools in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, at my pastor, my friend, Pastor Patrick's church. And um, the need there is great. We're very excited about this project. We've been moving forward with it for a while. And uh, on my next trip, we hope to fully stock them with teaching materials, with Bibles, to improve the facilities, uh, to maybe even build more classrooms if we need to. It's going to take a lot of money to do all this, so please consider supporting the ministry. And when you support the ministry, it also, also helps us to continue to preach online each Sunday and to expand the Way Radio podcast. Uh, we're nearing 11,000 downloads on the Way Radio podcast, and more and more people are subscribing. Uh, so that is probably our biggest outreach here in America, uh, but our biggest work in Kenya, like I said, is the Bible school in Nairobi, and we need a lot of help for all of these. So please consider helping us. All right. Thank you for being here today. And we will be back here next Sunday, same time, same place. God bless you guys. Take care.